It's the dad line. <laughs> well, good morning, TBA. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. My name is Dave Shive, and I'm one of the pastors here at TBA, and we're so glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. I know we've played that video before, but man, I love that video. It's so funny, but there's so much truth in that video. And being a father is one of those really amazing things. And I will never forget how I felt the first time that I held my baby boy in my arms. <clears throat> it was beyond words. It was beyond words to describe how much love that I had for my son. And yet at the same time, I was so afraid. I was afraid because I understood in that moment, I understood this huge responsibility that God had put into my hands to provide, to protect, to teach him so many things that my father never taught me. To teach him how to be a man, how to be responsible, to teach him how to respect his mother, how to respect other women, but most importantly, to teach him how to be a godly man that loves the Lord with all his heart and that follows him all of his life. See, Father's Day is a bittersweet holiday for me because my dad was pretty much absent my entire life. He never wanted anything to do with me. But all I wanted from him was for him to accept me and love me. But he made different choices in his life, and I just didn't happen to be one of those choices. My grandfather, on the other hand, was a different story. He was an amazing influence in my life. My grandfather was a good, God-fearing man. He had a gentle heart, and he had a love and a passion for following Jesus Christ. He was patient and kind. I don't ever remember him being angry. He was a peacemaker who tried to live his life the way that God wanted him to live it. He was a man of his word. If he said he was going to do something, he did it. No matter what it cost him, he did it. He kept his word. He never went into debt, even though he didn't have a lot of money. He taught me how to hunt and fish. He taught me how to drive a tractor at the age of 10 and a car at the age of 13. And there were so many things that he could have taught me, but he died of a heart attack shortly after my 15th birthday. And even though my time with my grandfather was short, the impact that he had on my life was great. Because the one thing I remember, the thing I remember the most about my grandfather was how much he loved God and how much he loved being in God's Word. He was always reading his Bible. He was always reading it, writing notes in it, underlining things. He seemed to always have his Bible with him wherever he went. But see, it was more than just that. It was more than just listening to God's Word because every Sunday my grandfather would grab me and put me in a truck and we would drive an hour into the backwoods of Kentucky to the single room church. And he would preach to a group of farmers who couldn't afford him to pay him as a pastor. And he did it all the time. He did it without question. He did it without complaint. He did it because God asked him to do it. And he did it to the day he died. And so in my life I have these, this dichotomy, these opposing pictures of what it means to be a father because my father was only a father in name. See, there was no substance to him. There was no evidence to show that he was my father. 
But my grandfather, on the other hand, he had substance to him. And the way he lived his life, the things that he taught me, how he followed God, all of those things are evident to the fact that he was more of a father to me than my biological father ever was. See, my grandfather was the real deal. He was the real deal. And so I say to all of you fathers who are the real deal, thank you. Thank you that you take up the challenge and the responsibility to be a father to your children. Keep doing that. Keep leading them. Keep showing them God's love. Because we need more fathers who stand up and do what God asked them to do in this world. Because we have a lot of things in this world that aren't real, that are fake. And that's what we've been studying in the book of James. We've been, we've been trying to look at what is the real deal? What does it mean to have real faith? What does a real Christian look like? Last week, if you were with us, we started talking about how James was a practical book on how to live the Christian life. And it was inspired by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And James, who was Jesus' half-brother and the pastor in the church of Jerusalem, he took Jesus' words at the Sermon on the Mount very seriously. And when Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, that had a major impact on James' book. Because there were those in the church at James' time when he wrote this book that were living this false faith. They were followers only in name. It was a counterfeit faith that they had. So he writes this book as both a test and a warning. A warning to those who are trapped in this false religion. A test to prove that their faith had sustenance. And that it was evident that their faith was lived out by the way they lived their lives. And last week we talked about the first three tests that are in the first chapter of James. We talked about the test of trials, the test of beliefs, the test of blame. The test of trials because we all go through trials in our lives. None of us are immune to it. But how do we respond to them? James said we should respond with joy, knowing that those trials build our faith. The test of belief, because when we face trials, God should be the first person that we turn to, believing that he is with us and working towards our good. And even though we may not understand the why of the trial, we trust him with the greater purpose of the trial. And then the test of blame. Who do we blame when it all goes wrong? God's not the one to blame. Last week we talked about that most of the time we're to blame because we allow sin and corruption in our lives. And there are consequences to that sin. And so today we're going to continue. We're going to pick it back up in chapter 1 again. And we're going to look at the next trial that James has for us. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 19. And here's what James says. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Accept the word that is planted in you. Remember, James is speaking to people in his congregation who are claiming to be followers of Christ. So they're hearing the word of God. They hear it through James and the apostles' teachings. They've heard it and they claim to follow Christ, but yet their lives don't show any evidence of it. God's word is not having an effect on their lives. 
because there were quarrels among them. And as we get further in our study, we're going to see some of the things that they were fighting about. But basically, James is saying to them, this is not how brothers and sisters in Christ treat each other with anger and arguments. This is not how followers of Christ live. We do not allow the moral filth and evil that is in this world pervade our lives. See, Scripture is not only given to men to bring salvation, but Paul says it's also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. See, true followers of Christ are quick. They're quick to listen to God's truth. They humble themselves to accept that truth, and then they allow that truth to grow deep roots in their hearts and their lives. See, as followers of Christ, we should have a hunger for God's Word. We should have a hunger for the Word of God. It should be a central part of our lives. It should be a daily part of our lives. See, the Bible is more than just a book with a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's the life-giving words of God Himself. It's our instruction for knowing Him and knowing His will for our lives. And if we're not listening to what He has to say, how can we be in God's will? Again, this is a test for true faith. A test for true faith. But sadly, just as it was in James' time, there are many in our time who do not accept the Word of God. Yes, they're walking around with the claim of Christian, but God's Word is not in them. See, they disregard it. They pick and choose what they want to believe. They doubt its validity as the absolute authority for our lives. They do that because they want to hold on to their own self-conceived standard of what's right and what's wrong. They want to hold on to their sin, and so they rebel against God's Word because Scripture's deep and convicting truth exposes their sinfulness and condemnation under God. See, God's Word has to be central. It has to be central to our lives. We have to be open to receiving all of God's truth, not just the things that we like. All of it. We have to receive all of God's truth, and we have to let that take root in our hearts, because if we can't do that, if we can't receive God's Word and pass the first test, then we're going to fail the next test. The next test is the test of responding to God's word. Look at what it says in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, as important as it is for us to hear the word of God, without obedience, it just becomes words. Because words without action have no benefit. It's essential to hear the word of God with an attitude of submission, but that's not enough. Obedience to the Word is the most basic spiritual requirement and is the common denominator for all true believers. The bottom line is that true spiritual life 
is not a momentary feeling. It's not a passing feeling. It's not just an experience. It's not just a single act of compliance, but it's a lifelong commitment and obedience to Scripture. See, James is saying you can't just be half in, dangling your feet in the water. See, when we, when we think that way, we're trapped in this line of thinking and we deceive ourselves that we're free. We think we're free, but it's a deluded life that we live, rationalizing why we don't commit. Why don't we jump all in? We make excuses. I don't have the time. I don't have the talent or the skill. It's going to interfere with my work. It's going to interfere with my other activities. There are a million reasons as to why people don't jump in and get involved with the work of God. But the truth is, it's all a deception. It's a deception. Because true freedom comes from accepting God's word, holding on to it, and acting upon it. Acting upon it. When the Jews began returning home after 75 years of captivity in Babylon, they found their city of Jerusalem, in, in, and including their temple, it was in ruins. The first desire was to rebuild the temple, and as they began that work, they realized that the walls of the city were also in serious disrepair, leaving the people vulnerable to an attack by the enemy. Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to King Xerxes of Babylon, secured the king's permission to go to Jerusalem and help his people rebuild the wall. And under his leadership and through the guidance of the power of the Holy Spirit, the people accomplished building the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. They did it in 52 days. And after the walls were completed, they brought out the book of the Law of Moses. And Ezra read it to all the people. And when they heard the word of God that they haven't heard in 75 years, they lifted their hands in agreement. They bowed their heads and worshiped God with their faces to the ground. And they confessed their sins and they made a covenant, a commitment, a contract with God to obey his commandments from that day forward. See, those who consistently disobey God's word give evidence that they are without his life in them. They are without his life in them. Those who consistently obey the word of God give evidence of the life of God in their souls. See, God's word demands action. That's why we have A in TBA stands for acting. Because God has called us a church, called us to be a church that doesn't just hear God's word, but acts on it as well. Otherwise, we're just a religious organization that's ineffective in a community that desperately needs help. Look at the next two verses in James. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I read an article the other day, and it said for the first time in America, Christianity is on a decline. 
not just a decline, but a steep decline. See, more and more people are leaving the church, and more and more churches are dying every year. And we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle here in America. And I believe we're losing it because we have sat back uninvolved too long. We've sat on the sidelines too long. And we've allowed the world to pollute what we believe, what God's Word says is true. I mean, the church in America, we by far have more financial resources than any other country. And we are loaded with people that God has blessed with amazing talent. And we have people in desperate need all around us. People who need hope all around us. But why are we not growing? We've got the resources. We've got the people who need us. Why are we not growing? We have this huge potential as the church. But unfortunately, most of that potential is not being used for God's kingdom. We've got the people. We've got the talent. We've got the resources. We just don't have any action. And it frightens me. We are not acting like the church. There is a lack of fire and passion in the church today. We've got to wake up. We have to wake up and pay attention because we are losing the battle. Culture is dictating the standard of right and wrong instead of God's word. Most Christians can name their ten top favorite movies. They can't name ten books of the Bible. And for the first time in America, we have a generation growing up with little to no exposure to the church. And our kids, the kids that do grow up in church, half of them are going to walk away from God and never come back. And it scares me to death. It scares me to death. Where is our fire? Where is our passion for God's Word? I've said this to you before. I'm going to tell you again. In George Barner's book, Revolution, he's found a very disturbing trend in America. He's found that there are some Christians who do have passion and fire for God and living out their faith, but they are abandoning the local church in droves. They're walking away because they find the local church irrelevant and ineffective. See, they want to see lives changed. They want to see people come to Christ. But what they find in the local church is a bunch of people who are just about themselves and what they can get out of the church instead of, about being, uh, instead of about, uh, being about spreading the gospel of Christ. And in most cases, it isn't the leadership of the church that's the problem. It's those who sit in the church Sunday after Sunday doing nothing that is the problem because they're tired of carrying the burden themselves. Do you realize that in a typical church, most of the work that needs to be done is completed by 20% of the people? And the same holds true for giving. Only about 20% of a congregation actually contributes to the financial um, aspect of the church to keep the church running. And so they they get fed up and they leave. And I don't blame them for leaving. I don't. As a matter of fact, Barnard says that if those trends continue, 
that the church in America will be non-existent by the year 2025. Can you imagine America without the church? See, I, I, I just, I don't think we can let that happen. I don't know how we can let that happen. We've got to be a church that is acting as the hands and feet of Jesus. And when I say we, I mean us. This church, TBA, has to be a church that is actively bringing hope and salvation to a world that desperately needs it. We have to be a church that is actively devoting ourselves to living for God's purpose and plan. We have to be a church that comes together collectively in unity and uses our immense time, resources, talents, finances to accomplish the amazing things for the glory of God. There's a world dying around us. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, they're all going to suffer the eternal punishment of hell if we don't do something about it. Do you hear what I'm saying? We are the only ones who can bring them to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. We are. We don't have any excuses. God has given us so much, and if we don't leverage that for His kingdom, what will we say when we stand before God? There won't be anything to say except that we wasted it all. And I don't know about you, but that scares me to death to think that I have to stand in front of my God and say, God, I just wasted it. I sat back on the sidelines because I was too afraid, too busy, too whatever to do your work. See, I believe God's calling TBA Church to answer the test. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be the real deal? What kind of church are we going to be? I get this vision over and over that God is drawing this line in the sand for us, and He's saying, TBA, are you going to step up? Are you going to cross the line? You need to know that as pastors and ministry directors and leaders of this church, we have been praying for this church for a very, very long time to rise up and be the church that God called us to be. We believe that this harvest in this community is great. And we believe that God wants to do amazing things here. We know that we have all the resources necessary to accomplish the vision that God's given us. We know that revival can take place here in Lakeland. We know that the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful and life-changing. We just have to stop sitting on the sidelines, and we've got to become doers of God's Word, not just hearers. I'm going to ask the band to come up, but I want to ask you one question. Why are you here today? I mean, really contemplate that. Why, why, do you, why do you come to TBA? Do you come just so you can sing a, a few songs on Sunday and, and, and listen to a message and, and, and go home and feel good and warm and fuzzy, but nothing in your life ever, ever changes? 
Because you can do that at any church. You can. You can do that at any church. Or are you here because you buy into the vision that God has for this church? Are you here because you buy into what God wants to do here? If you're not involved, why? Why are you not involved? Get involved today. Don't be passive about it. Don't wait for somebody to come and ask you. Don't wait for an invitation. Figure out how to use your time and talents and resources here and get involved. If it's hard, keep trying. If you have obstacles, overcome them. Figure out how to get involved in the work of God here. Begin living since. You know, we talk about Honduras and Highland City all the time. But those are just a few ways that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Living sin is bigger than Honduras. It's bigger than Highland City. You don't have to go to Honduras and Highland City to spread the word of God. It's just each of us showing people in our circle of influence, those that we live with, those that we work with, those that we play with, it's showing them the love of Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. I'm not saying you've got to go knock on doors and give them this big theological uh, reason for salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying invite them to their next step. That next step may simply be asking them to come over for dinner or taking a coworker out to lunch, striking up a conversation, building a friendship because you're concerned about their souls and allowing them to see God in you by the way you live your life. And let God take care of the rest. Let God open the opportunity for you to share Christ. Because He will. He'll do it. You just have to be obedient. Just be active in pursuing those relationships. And then be involved here at your local church, at TBA. You may think you have nothing to offer, but that is not true. It's not true. See, God has given each of us a brush. He's gifted all of us in the painting of His masterpiece. Some of us have big brushes. Some of us have very small detailed brushes. But each brush is needed to complete the painting. There's so many areas that need your brush. Children's ministry as teachers and parent partners. Youth ministry, I'd love for you to be a part of our ministry. As mentors, organizers, tech team that does media, video, sound. Small groups need coaches, leaders, and hosts. Compassion ministries like food bank, visiting people in the hospital, taking care of needs of those in our church helping single moms, construction, automotive repair, celebration ministries like the Halloween event we do, doing baptism, men's ministries, women's ministries, office help. The list goes on and on and on and on of places you can plug in. Find a place. Jump in. If you don't know where a good fit is for you, let us know. We will help you. We will help you find a place where your passion and your talents come together best. Either way, Get involved. Write on your connection card. I'll serve anywhere. Just help me. Write that. We'll help you. Whatever you do, just don't sit back and do nothing. See, we've been called to be kingdom painters, and God expects us to paint. We have to be doers of God's Word. If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you are in the right place. And I know this message was more specific to 
church family, but I hope that you will see how passionate we are about helping you find out who Jesus is and why we love him so much and how our heart's desire is for you to become a part of this family. And I want you to know that God is desperately pursuing you. He loves you more than you could ever know. Regardless of what your past looks like, regardless of what you've done, God has made a way through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for you to be right with him. And you can do that today. All it requires is your acceptance of his free gift of salvation. And if that's where you are today, I want you to know I'm going to be up here at the front as the band plays, after the band plays, after everybody leaves, whenever you feel comfortable. If you want to talk to me about that, I'm going to be right up here. And I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow an amazing Lord in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, I pray, and I pray that God is working in your hearts, that you take this responsibility that he's put in our hands to share the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. I pray that you would take that responsibility heavily upon you and be a church of action. Let's pray.